Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32 is where we are this morning. Let's read from verse 32 down to the end of the chapter, verse 40. The writer says, And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead raised to life again, but others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Well, we have come to the end of the hall of faith here in Hebrews chapter 11. The entire chapter has been an exposition on what faith is and what faith truly looks like. The author began the chapter by defining faith. You'll see it there in verse number one. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith is living with certainty and conviction in God's Word so that both the future and the invisible is seen and understood. That's what faith is. It is living with certainty and conviction in God's Word so that both the future and the invisible is seen and understood. So faith is not simply a sentimental feeling, and it's not just a mindset of optimism. Faith, instead, is absolute trust in and obedience to the Word of God. Now, why is that important for us to know? Because it's that kind of faith, I mean, real biblical faith that will endure until the very end. Remember, this, this whole book, the whole purpose of Hebrews is to remind us of what true faith is. Because persecution under the genocidal maniac Nero was threatening the church. And many who once professed belief in Christ were now turning back. They were falling away. They were showing that they never truly possessed a real faith. So the author in his writings here now turns to those who have not turned back, those who have not 
fallen away. They're, they're still coming. They're still attending. They're still hanging in there, if you will, still keeping their eyes focused on Jesus. And he encourages them about true faith in the promises of God and how that true faith will persevere. True faith will endure regardless of the persecution and suffering that comes into a person's life. And he does this by taking us through a brief walk through history. Hebrews 11, he gives us a host of examples of both men and women, 12 of which that we have studied so far, who, though they were not perfect, did live their lives by faith. And it was their genuine faith that persevered through the most difficult, of circumstances. The book of Hebrews, however, is not just a compilation of inspiring stories. There is a message on this page meant for us. It's a life and death message. And perhaps it ought to be proposed to us in the form of a question. The question is, is your faith real? Is your faith true? Because that, my friends, the answer to that question is a life and death response. Consider it as we look at the context of Hebrews and the persecution and suffering that is coming upon the church and even in the era in which you and I live today. It's most likely that in the Western world, the pampered church with all of her present comforts and conveniences will become the persecuted church. And the truth is we are a pampered church. We're able to assemble together in the comforts of a building and put our kids in nursery and look at all of our technology and not worry so much about persecution coming upon us. We've been spoiled. Pampered is the right word. But it is most likely that here even in the United States of America, the the Western world, that the pampered church will become the persecuted church, just like many of our brothers and sisters around the world. And only true faith will persevere that. Only true faith will overcome such suffering. That's the point of Hebrews. And it's not a hopeless message, by the way, for the church who is certain in their conviction about God's word will not only endure whatever may come to them, but they will actually be the salt and light that God will use to carry out his eternal purposes. That's why it's important that we heed this message. Is my faith real? Is it genuine? Because the answer to that question will determine whether or not you will endure, whether or not you will persevere, or will you quit? Will you turn around? Will you fall away? Well, verses 32 through 40 is like the conclusion of a pastor's sermon, all right? He spent so much time on the other points, now he finds himself just quickly rattling off some concluding thoughts. Which is why he says in verse 32, look at it, what more shall I say? 
What more shall I say? I've, I've given you wonderful examples, but there's so many more that I could tell you about. But here's how he concludes the chapter. What more shall we say? Three things. Number one, he says to us that faith brings courage. Faith brings courage. Faith brings courage. Look at it there in verse 32. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. So he's, he's taken a lot of time on the previous 12. Now he's just, he's just rattling names, right? What, what more shall I tell you? There's a whole lot more I could say, actually. There's a whole lot more examples I could give you. But he just, he mentions them quickly in passing. Let's just kind of remind ourselves briefly without going back to all of their passages in the Old Testament to understand who these men were and what they accomplished. Most of them were in the period of the Judges. You can read most of their stories in the book of Judges. We find Gideon mentioned here first. Gideon was not only a judge, but he was a military leader whom God used to lead just 300 men. Now, if you remember the story, he began with 32,000 men. And God dwindled them down there at the base of Gilboa. And he got him down to 300 men, yet God used Gideon and 300 men to defeat the enemy of Israel, the, the Midianites, who, by the way, if you're thinking, well, 300 men, no big deal. Midians must have been a small army. Let me, let me tell you how Judges describes the Midianite army. The Bible says of the Midianites, they were as numerous as the sand of the seashore, that there was so many of them, you couldn't even number them. And so God to show his own power, he dwindles Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300. Yet Gideon believed God. He trusted God. He put his faith in God that, yes, even with 300, God could use them to defeat the Midianites. And that's exactly what God did. It's a miraculous story of faith. And not only do we have Gideon, we have Barak. And I'm not talking about the former president here. This is actually a, a, a real-life Bible character, all right? Barak. He led a small group of soldiers from only two tribes in Israel to miraculously defeat the large and powerful army of the Canaanites. It's very similar to the story that Gideon did over the Midianites. Story of victory. Barak trusted God. He put his faith in God and God used him to defeat the Canaanites. Then we have mentioned Samson here. Samson, another judge who through prayer and faith was used by God to defeat the army of the Philistines. Again, he had his weaknesses, he had his struggles, more on that in just a moment. But he trusted God in the midst of all of that. He believed God and even though he had failed and even though he had given in to fleshly desires, his faith overruled in the end. And God used him and his faith to defeat the Philistine army. Then Jephthah. Jephthah is a puzzling character. He's a Robin Hood-like figure who was honored by God for his faith in defeating the, the Ammonites. Of course, they mention here in verse 32, David. We're more familiar with David. David was the shepherd boy, right, who defeated Goliath, the giant, with just a slingshot and stone. And then he became the anointed king of Israel. His whole life was a life of remarkable faith. It's what we're studying together on Wednesday night. 
Of course, Samuel. Samuel's mentioned here, a prophet who was also Israel's last judge. He served Eli in the house of God since he was a little boy, and he fearlessly, this is what we know about Samuel, he fearlessly delivered God's word by faith to anyone it was required of him to do so. Even King Saul, he approached him face to face and delivered God's message, even though it was not a message that would be well received by most people. Each of these men lived during a time when faith was hard to find. What I mean by that is as people of faith in the God of heaven, they were in the minority. They stood alone at times. They lived in the period of the judges. And what does the Bible say clearly about the period of the judges? Judges 21, 25. Here's what it says. In those days, in the days of Gideon and Jephthah, and even in the transitional period of David, all of that, in those days, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They didn't do what was right in God's eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. And yet these men even though they were the minority, put their faith in God when everyone else did not believe him. It speaks of how true faith brings courage and boldness to live for God, to trust his promises and to obey his word even when you and I are in the minority. Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold, they are as courageous as a lion. The wicked are the ones who are running away, the proverb says. Those who are not truly believing, those who are not genuine in their faith in Christ, those who are not real Christians, they're the ones fleeing, they're the ones walking away, They're, they're running. They don't possess true faith. But those who do possess true faith, those whose faith is real, they remain in obedience to God with courage and boldness regardless of what is standing in front of them. You see, it's not enough to simply say, have courage this morning. We could preach a message or give a pep rally on be bold and be courageous, but but that's not the message. No, no, courage is anchored in courage. Faith, in faith. So the right plea this morning is not be bold and have courage. No, the right plea is have faith. Trust God. Believe his promises. For when our faith is truly anchored in the certainty of God's word, it is then that God will empower us with courage and bravery and boldness. To stand alone, to go against the odds, to persevere with courage. You see, it always goes back to faith. Faith in God. If your boldness is lacking, then it's time to take pulse of your faith. If you're struggling to trust God, then there's not going to be courage to move forward. It's always about our faith. 
I came across an interesting verse of scripture this week, Isaiah chapter 8. Some of you, this will help in more ways than just the context of this message. Isaiah 8 and 12 says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your dread. Let him, Isaiah says, be your fear. He says, everybody's talking conspiracy. That is the language of the wicked. Rather, we should put our faith in God. We should fear God. We should trust God because that is what gives us the boldness and courage to stand and go forward even in the face of danger. That's what these men are acknowledged for. Faith brings courage. Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, Samson, they were all courageous men. Not because they were optimistic. Not because they had this sentimentality. No, no, they were courageous and bold men because they had faith. They had faith. Now, let me address the elephant in the room. Because we're going through those men, I know some of you are calculating all of their shortcomings. Here we are honoring them. But yet, let's talk about all their issues. Yeah, it's obvious each of these men, though they're commended for their faith, were also filled with great flaws. Every single one of them. They were not perfect. And each one of them, as is the case with the other 12 that we've studied here in Hebrews chapter 11, they all had notable areas of failure in their life. Gideon, at first, he, he doubted God and repeatedly asked God for confirmation. In the same way that you and I do. You know, God, God gives us an answer and then we go back to him and says, well, Lord, I know you said that and, and I'm supposed to follow that, but, but if this is really what you want me to do, then you got to give me one more sign, you know? You ever prayed like that before? Well, I have, of course. I've prayed and asked God for an answer and he gave me the answer and then after he gave me the answer, I'm saying, okay, Lord, I appreciate that, but I really need to be convinced now. Can you give me something else? That's what Gideon did. It's a great story of faith, but before his faith, before his faith was carried out in this powerful, courageous way, he, he doubted the same way that you and I doubt. Barak hesitated to go forward with these instructions that God had given him. It was only when Deborah, the judge, told him to go that he eventually went. We all need a woman in our lives who will tell us what to do when we're hesitant. And that's what Deborah did to Barak. It's what Michelle did to Barack. <laughs> Samson, Samson never lived up to his potential. He was a sexual sinner. I know you know his story. He was promiscuous. He got in this whole ordeal with Delilah, who was so wicked herself. I mean, the whole, the whole charade is, and then, and then he breaks his covenant with God. But yet he's honored. Perhaps the saddest of all these stories is Jephthah to me. Jephthah made a foolish and rash vow 
one day to sacrifice the first person that walked through the door. And you know who happened to be the first person to walk through the door of his home? His own daughter. And here's the worst part. He kept the vow. And he foolishly sacrificed her. David committed adultery with a woman who became pregnant and then tried to cover it up by having her husband killed. Even Samuel made some careless spiritual decisions with his boys. You see, all of these people, they they were sinners like us. But, and this ought to encourage you, they were ultimately marked by their faith. They were not marked by their failure so much as they were marked by their faith in God. Calvin said it like this, in every saint there is always to be found something reprehensible. Nevertheless, although faith may be imperfect and incomplete, it does not cease to be approved by God. There is no reason, therefore, why the fault from which we labor should break us or discourage us, provided that we go on by faith in the race of our calling. Sometimes we need to be reminded that Hebrews chapter 11 is not called the hall of perfection. It's called the hall of faith. We're all imperfect. We're all marked by flaws and failures. But as we've already noted in this chapter, a weak and stumbling faith is better than no faith at all. So thank God here that in the midst of their sin and their evil deeds and their failures and their flaws, that at the end of the day, it was their faith that endured, their faith persevered, and their faith brought them courage. Courage. What more shall we say, the writer says? Faith brings courage. Secondly, faith brings power. Faith brings power. Kent Hughes said, there is a spiritual nitroglycerin that faith can detonate. Jesus said it like this in Mark chapter 9. All things are possible to him who believes. Believes. Now when we study this list in Hebrews chapter 11, we see God manifesting a great deal of his power through these men and women who are noted as men and women of faith. But understand, and listen very carefully, this is going to help some of you. God's power manifests itself in our lives and equips us with strength for various purposes. I think sometimes we erroneously think that any demonstration of God's power in our lives will be for the sole purpose of producing an outcome that is convenient or a celebration to us. That's what we think, right? I want God's power. And so when we say I want God's power, we're not saying I want God's power to get through it. No, I want God's power to to have a different outcome. I want God's power to, to make things better for me. I want God's power to do what seems to be something that's not going to happen. I I want the power of God. 
However, God doesn't always empower us for that kind of victory. Sometimes, God empowers us to simply get through the trial. Not to get the answer you want. Sometimes his power is just there to help you through your fears, to help you through your disappointments, to help you face even death with hope. So let's not get one-sided. Let's not get all prosperity gospel in our thinking. That whenever this area of my life doesn't go the way I had planned, the way I had hoped, the way that I would write it out for myself, and I go to God by faith and ask for His power, that His power is going to change all of this. No, sometimes His power doesn't change any of that. And that's where you and I have to learn to live with it. So while His power may not change that, His power can change your heart and my heart to get through it. So so let's look at it, because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see it straight from the Scriptures. I I wrote this down in my notes. This is not on your screens. Perhaps you want to jot it down just to help you understand the distinctions here in the text. I wrote down, number one, faith in some cases brings the power to achieve incredible victory. All right? Faith in some cases brings the power, the power of God to achieve incredible victory. And he he lays that out for us. Look at it. Look at it there in verse 33. He's talking about these these empowered moments where great, incredible feats were accomplished. Verse 33, who through faith, here's what they did. They subdued kingdoms. They worked righteousness. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. I mean, we're we're thinking about people in the Bible who've done this, right? That's what he's talking about. Not just the the, the five or six that are mentioned here, not just the the 16 in the whole chapter, but but all through history. We we look back at these men and women of faith, Daniel in the lion's den, right? He's another one. Think about all those great, powerful things they did. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness, they were made strong. They became valiant in battle. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Even women received their dead raised to life again. He's specifically talking about the issue of Elijah, the Shunammite woman, and others in which were brought back to life. All of these things, these these are incredible acts of power, incredible acts of power poured out by God on those who trusted him. important that you and I acknowledge that God does delight to showcase his mighty power through people of faith. He loves to do incredible things. He loves to do the impossible through people who believe him because that's what faith does. Faith pleases God. And when we read these stories of what God has done, we must firmly believe that God can continue to give incredible victory anytime he desires out of any situation that we are in. Friends, God can do anything. Do you believe that this morning? He can. All things are possible to those who believe. He can do anything. He can deliver you and your family out of any storm you're in, just like he did Noah and his family. He can give you who have a barren womb, a child, just like he did Abraham and Sarah, just like he did Jonathan and Kathleen. 
He can break you free of sexual sin and redeem your sin just like he did Rahab, just like he's done many of us. And he will keep doing these things over and over and over again. That is, when we by faith trust his word. God is the God of the impossible. He's the God that does miracles in our life. He's incredible. He does the impossible. However, this is not the only way God pours out his power on those who believe. God has not promised Incredible feats of victory for his people at all times and in every situation. In Noah's case, perhaps in your life, the storm raining on your family, it may not ever stop raining. But God's going to give you the power to be able to live on that boat. That baby of your own that you want so badly, it may never come but God's going to give you the power to adopt a child that needs a mom or dad. And on and on we can go. God wants to do incredible things. He delights in doing it. And he will keep on doing it. But that's not his will for everybody and for every situation. And here's the second thing I wrote down. I want you to think about this. Faith sometimes, here's the first thing, faith sometimes sees the power of God achieve incredible victory. But secondly, faith in other cases brings the power to endure intense difficulty. Faith in other cases brings the power to endure intense difficulty. So it's like right here in the middle of verse 35, he gives us a separation of feats, okay? 33 and 34 and half of 35, here's all the incredible, miraculous, impossible acts of power that God poured out in his victory on the people. But then he says, not everybody got that. Look at it, verse 35. Others were tortured, right there in the middle of it. Others were tortured. That doesn't sound like the power of God to me, does it, you? Oh, but it is. It is. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Not accepting deliverance. Now, prosperity gospel preachers don't like verses like this. Because we could spend the first half of the verse and we could talk about deliverance, deliverance, deliverance. Your deliverance is on its way. Your deliverance is on its way. Your deliverance is on its way. That would be a lie. For some of you, deliverance is on the way. For some of you, deliverance is not going to come. There are those who experience the power of God in this great deliverance. There are some who experience the power of God to endure a life of not being delivered. They were tortured. They didn't accept deliverance. That they might obtain a better resurrection. That is, there are things better in the next life than there are here. Still others, look at it, still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were tempted. They were killed with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins. That's what they wore. That's not the kind of purses they carried. The 
boots they wore. This was all they had. They were destitute. They were afflicted. They were tormented. The world was not worthy of them. That is, that is the, the, word, the world didn't think of them, didn't care for them, didn't help them, didn't, didn't love them, didn't accept them. They, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves. To me, it's clear. Some who had faith in God experienced great victory and deliverance in this life, but others who had the same faith in God. This is not a matter of the first group's faith was greater and the second group's faith was weaker. No, they had the same faith in God, but they experienced an entirely different outcome. They weren't delivered. They were tortured. They were scourged in prison, cut in two. They died. And those who didn't die by the sword lived in destitution and affliction. And the world carried nothing about them. The world didn't even consider them worthy of life. Of course, God didn't consider the world worthy of their presence either. This is vital to our true understanding of faith and the power of God. Because some of you have been fed this junk that says the measure of God's deliverance in your life is completely due to the measure of faith in your life. They all had the same faith. And they all experienced different outcomes. But the point of this is, the point of this is that though they suffered through faith, they were able to endure the intense difficulty that was brought upon their life. And they persevered these difficulties all the way through death. And friends, that is the power of God. It's the power of God that keeps a person from quitting under these circumstances. It's the power of God that keeps a person from turning away when the pressure is on, from abandoning God and his church when everything is going wrong, physical deliverance or not. These believers were not going to forsake their faith in God's word. Because that's what faith does. Faith brings courage to stand against any opposition that's in front of you, and faith brings power to endure life's most intense difficulties. And maybe for some of you, the power of God is going to achieve an incredible victory. But for some of you, the power of God is simply going to give you the ability to endure whatever difficulty comes your way. It's why everything comes back to faith. Because it is our faith that will determine how we will get through those circumstances. What more shall we say? Faith brings courage. Faith brings power. Thirdly, faith brings hope. Faith brings hope. Verse 39, and all of these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. A little confusing on the surface, but I want to explain that to you. It means that they did not get to see King Jesus come to earth is what it means. Every promise in the Old Testament going all the way back to the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3 that the serpent's head was going to be crushed by the seed of the woman. Every promise, even God's promise to Abraham, all of it had to do with the coming of the Savior. 
The coming of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. So everything they did, every instruction God gave them, and every obedience of faith had to do with God's sovereign, providential line of bringing about Christ into the world. And the point of the verse is, every one of them were honored for their faith, even though they didn't get to see Jesus himself come into the world. That is, they all died before Jesus appeared. Now, if these all had faith in God's promise before it came, and yet they still willingly suffered and endured and trusted God, then we who have seen the coming of Christ, we who know that the promise has been filled, have even more reason to put our faith in God. Because Jesus did come. Verse 40 says, God has provided something better for us. Well, what's better? Well, this is the new covenant in Christ. That they should not be made perfect apart from us. In other words, no faith is completed without the work of Jesus Christ. They, that is the Old Testament people of faith, they looked forward to the promise of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. We, we look back to the fulfillment of Christ, of God's promise, that Christ did come, that he did die, that he was buried, and that he rose again for our sins. And now faith is made perfect as we both put our hope in that promise in Jesus Christ. Faith brings hope. Their faith calls them the hope for the day that he would come. Our faith causes us to hope in the promise that not only he did come, but the reason he came was for me. Is your faith real? Is your hope in Jesus Christ? What more shall we say? Hebrews is calling us to have real faith, the kind of faith that they had, to trust in God and obey his word like they did, even if that means suffering death like they did. You know, it's not going to get any easier for the church in the Western world. Just look at some of the things happening in Canada right now. You, you may not pay very close attention to these things the way that I do, because it relates to me. But there are pastors right now in Canada being thrown in jail for holding worship services against the government's order during this pandemic. In Canada, very close to us, COVID has done more than spark concern about health. It, in my opinion, has intensified the world's true feelings toward believers. And sadly, as we've seen even in our own congregation, it's began to separate the wheat from the tares. So how do we get through this time in history? Well, we get through it the same way they got through any time in history. You think this is the first pandemic that's ever come in the world among Christians and implicated believers of all kinds? Absolutely not. And should Jesus tarry, it's only going to get worse from here. We get through it the same way everybody gets through it. Faith. 
you're going to get through it the way any of us get through it. Faith. Whatever, whatever it is in your life right now, it's going to be faith. Faith that gets you through. Faith in God and His Word. That's why I echo what the author of Hebrews is preaching this morning. Don't turn away. Don't quit. Hang in there. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep gathering with the church. Keep reading your Bible. Keep praying. Believe. Believe. Don't stop believing. Perhaps you've seen it. I, and I, and I close with this and we'll pray. Uh, our, our family watched this weekend the documentary on Disney Plus. National Geographic did it on the, on the rescue about the little boy soccer team from Thailand. You remember this happened back in, I think, 2018? And they were trapped in this cave for maybe 15 or 16 days. They were able to show some of the live footage of what happened during that time. It's really remarkable. If you haven't seen it and you don't have Disney Plus, you need to steal somebody's account (laughs) just to watch this documentary. Because in the end, faith will overrule in your life, right? And there's one scene where one of the divers who goes two and a half hours in diving, and he gets to this point, this chamber where he's able to lift up his head and the boys are sitting there. If you've seen this, the boys are sitting there on the side. I think 13 of them. And as they're having this conversation, he's seeing them for the first time in, in a week, trying to figure out what they need. Are they alive because I couldn't just take them out right away. There, there was, there was this, this is a massive, massive deal of trying to figure out how to get these boys trapped, who are trapped, out. And so one of the divers looked at the boys right before he went back underwater to go back and report the news. He just said, believe. Just believe. Don't stop believing. Just believe, believe, believe. Believe. That's the last thing he says. And he goes back and, and of course, spoiler alert, they're delivered. There are times in our lives where we may feel spiritually, emotionally, maybe sometimes even physically in the same type of scenario. We feel like we're about to die. We're trapped. We're suffocating. And yet... The Holy Spirit comes back and he says, just believe. Just believe. However this is going to end, if you will just believe, God will give you the power to either be delivered from it or to get through it all the way to the end. It always comes back to faith. For it's by faith. That these and us obtain a good testimony. Let's stand together this morning.